Good afternoon, my friends. This is Barry Cox joining you guys for another podcast. It's a chilly, cloudy, rainy Sunday afternoon, and I'm glad to be sitting here with my blankie over my legs. And so thank you all for joining us and just looking forward to sharing this afternoon with you all and, and just a sense of you know God's calling and purpose as we do this. And today's um, topic of, I've called um, ideology that has led to the tremendous modern battle between truth and lies. And, you know, it's been amazing how the Lord has led over the past several weeks, you know, as, as we've been, as we've been seeking to, you know, heed Jesus's warning to be careful that no one deceives you you know, we've spent several weeks just focused on Jesus, especially as he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, you know, and, and what a blessed assurance this has given us. You know, uh, kind of summarizing, it's a great passage from Hebrews 13, beginning with verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from from God's grace, you know, and as we studied, you know, about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, you know, the Greek word for truth there was so powerful. Um, It's not merely like the ethical truth, but but truth in all its fullness and its scope, and and the the Greek there has like an absolute force about it. Um, It's the same word that that Paul uses in Ephesians 4.21, where he says, simply, the truth is in Jesus. And, you know, what a hope, what encouragement that gives us, you know, as, as we're in a time of, you know, great deception and there's so much going on, you don't, you don't know what's the truth and the lie and what the lies are. And, you know, and, and, you know, and even as uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine and, you know, and Putin saying all these deceptive kind of things, you know, just, uh, I mean, it's certainly, this is a, this is a reality of our day. And so the hope and encouragement we get from knowing that the truth is in Jesus is, is awesome. It, it does give us a solid place to, to take a stand. And so as we, as we're, as we have that as a firm foundation, you know, uh, we're going to begin today to look at some, you know, the ideology of postmodernism. You know, and I and I see it as like the the ideology that has led to this tremendous battle that we have in our day between the truth and lies. And so, <clears throat> postmodernism, you know, it, it has called for, you know, a cultural revolution. You know, and so, and you know, we've we've mentioned this briefly before, but I feel we should just review it, the basics of it. You know, according to the Oxford Dictionary, postmodernism is a belief that individuals are constructs of social forces, and that there is no absolute transcendent truth that can be known. And so, you know, so as we as we think about this. Um, you know, they believe that there is no absolute transcendent truth can be known. And so, so they then further, they believe 
that that everyone kind of has their own beliefs that they develop from their particular social environment. So for postmodernists, you know, truth is what is true to you and to the society around you that has has uh, constructed your thinking. And so and you know, so how did they come to these basic beliefs? Well, they are postmodernist are and and were uh, historically were Marxist, you know, and in um, in Karl Marx's uh, famous book, The Communist Manifesto, he predicted that there would be a worldwide economic revolution in which the the oppressed workers would revolt against the owners. As he, you know, he put it, the the uh, the proletariat, the oppressed workers would revolt against the the bourgeois owners, and they and the, the the oppressed workers would take over all the world's economies. He was calling for a worldwide revolution. Revolution, you working men of the world throw off your chains and and revolt. And so his and so his ideology, his his thought was. The, that the workers would take over everything and they would they would come to share everything so equitably and so much in common that that government would not even be necessary you know there would be these these communist utopias and so that that's what he talked about in the communist manifesto well the historical realities of marxism stand in stark contrast to that uh, in the very first revolution the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia that led to Soviet communism, more than 14 million Russians died. You know, and ultimately, in all the Marxist revolutions, there were there was the, this the, like a slaughter of uh, over 100 million people. You know, in the pursuit of these communist utopias. You know, Winston Churchill, you know, f- had a famous quote. He said, "The inherent virtue of socialism." is equal distribution of misery you know so eventually this economically focused marxism you know sort of fizzled out as the fruit of it was evident you know as as president reagan said mr gorbachev tear down this wall you know and so so you know that economically based communism marxism kind of fizzled out so what happened at that point then and, and why are we still hearing about socialism and stuff today well, <clears throat> postmodernists have have adjusted their their aim, so to speak. They're they're calling for, you know, a different type of revolution. And so so again, you know, back to so how did they come to this this idea of calling for a different kind of revolution? Well, <clears throat> you know, even the even the even though they had the failure of Marxism, they still held on to these. Marxist beliefs, and and they tried to figure out, you know, why and how the original Marxist movement went so wrong, and so they actually formed a new group. They called it the Institute of Social Research, or the Frankfurt School, and it and it started out in Germany, you know. But as as Hitler came to power, and he hated Marxism, well, they felt endangered, and so they left. Germany and moved to Columbia University, actually in New York, and so so their their research from this this uh, Institute of Social Research or the Frankfurt School, where Frankfurt Germany, where it started, 
um, it's actually produced the, the critical theory or the more well-known critical race theory that has led to like identity politics and the council culture and all that, those sorts of things of our day. And we're going to, you know, eventually we're going to get into and study those particular things, you know, and just scrutinize them and, and just seek to use our discernment uh, on them so that they will not be, you know, will not be deceptive to us. Well, as they were thinking about this, one of the main leaders that kind of expressed some of their thoughts was this guy named Antonio Gramsci. He was, he was um, you know, he deduced that what was needed was not an economic revolution, but a cultural revolution. And he had observed that the Judeo-Christian ethic had so shaped our Western culture that it was like a power that prevented the workers from seeing their oppression. And so he, you know, so he even called this the hegemony and, uh, and that it, and, you know, and he, he taught how that it shaped a culture. And so he even defined it as he, this, this hegemony, this power, he defined it as the, the cultural, moral, and the ideological power that actually shapes a culture. And so he theorized, this Gramsci guy theorized that the values of the dominant culture come to be, you know, established through cultural institutions like education or schools, the church even, family, and the media. And so what he came to see and believe was that these institutions would so advance the morals and the ideologies of the, the dominant group that though their values would come to be seen as like common sense. And so what would happen is the entire culture would consent to those values. And so, so this belief, you know, came to be like the cornerstone of postmodernism. Basically the idea that, you know, life was all about who had the power to shape the culture of people. So what he what they came their conclusion came to be therefore that instead of these violent economic revolutions, what was needed was a gradual cultural revolution that would replace the Judeo-Christian ethic as the power that that uh, that shaped the culture. And so so you know as we think about this some more, why did they think this was necessary? Why did they think this cultural revolution was so necessary? Well, you know, just looking at the basics of, of this idea, you know, cultures are simply our way of life, you know, and our ways of life become so prevalent, you know, the way we live becomes so prevalent that everyone kind of accepts our culture as a truth. And so, so again, these dominant ideas, they even come to be seen as like common sense. And so, <clears throat> so obviously these these ideas have the power to shape the culture. And the, the postmodernists even called this power the, the hegemony. And so they they also knew and could see that the the Western world, our culture was shaped by the Judeo-Christian ethic. And so um, so their perception came to be, these postmodernists perception came to be 
that a, that a revolution was absolutely necessary. And so, uh, so that the necessity of it was very, very clearly and emphatically stated by a leader of an, of an organization called the Students for a Democratic Society. And this, this, this was a, a girl. And in this group, the Students for Democratic Society, were, they were pushing really hard. This is way back in the 70s. They were pushing really hard for um, abortion to be made legal. And, and this is they were making these arguments just before the famous Roe versus Wade case. And so, um, so she, here, so her, she she had this famous quote. She said, "The leader of this organization said, we in women's liberation deny any inherent differences between men and women. All of us are trapped by the society that created our roles. We are questioning the ideals of marriage and motherhood." The very society that has created these roles and values must be questioned. Now, again, this she said this in the seventies, and you know, and and her quote seems almost prophetic. You know, what's happened since the nineteen seventies? Well, in our day, there's basically a blatant rebellion against the traditional roles of men and women. You know, and so. So, so the you know, the reality that we understand from Scripture and the truth of God is that that, or even those who believe in evolution believe the same thing that you know that God created us male and female. Well, that those traditional roles are now seen as like oppressive, and um, then she further you know in her quote here that we just looked at, she questioned ideals of marriage. Well, what's happened with marriage? Today, marriage is no longer exclusively between a man and a woman as God designed it. She also questioned the ideals of motherhood. And, you know, and through their influence, you know, abortion was, um, was made legal, you know, and it's become to be seen as, you know, the reproductive right of women. And what's been the result? Well, 62 million babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade. You know, and, and, you know, and this, and questioning these ideals of motherhood, what a stark contrast to that, to the, to the, the Judeo-Christian ethic who would say many in the, in that culture, I've heard pastors say that, and I agree, I believe this, that mothering is and was, has, has been the most important function on earth. And then her final assertion was simply that, Hey, the very society that has created these roles and values must be questioned. And, and what she said there is actually kind of being fulfilled in this current cultural war, so to speak, that we're presently going through. So, you know, what are the consequences, you know, of this ideology, of this of postmodernism? Well, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, you know, respond to that thought, that question, in a in uh, with just a an amazing uh, quote from Jordan Peterson. He recently said this in an interview he had with Joe Rogan, and it, it's a radical statement. And it, and it's going to go back. It's it's kind of like it's going to be a long uh, intro kind of into our answering that question of well, you know, what are the consequences of postmodern ideology? Well. You know, 
Jordan Peterson said this amazing thing to Joe Rogan. He said, quote, the Bible is more than the truth. The Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, end quote. You may want to replay that and meditate on it. I, I had to meditate on it myself. But isn't that an awesome statement, though? Even, you know, and here, and Jordan Peterson's not even, you know, I mean, he's a he's a, basically a psychologist who just has a heart for truth. But isn't this awesome? The Bible's more than truth, and it is even the precondition for the truth to be manifested. And what an amazing statement. And so, as postmodernism pursues its agenda, that, you know, with its basic premise that there's no such thing as absolute truth, well, what's happened? Well, you know, as people have come to believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth, you know, we see, we're seeing all this tremendous division and confusion, you know, and, and, and people have just lost their way, you know, you know, as we have no absolute truth to guide us, as we have nothing that we can stand on and count on, then, you know, we're just confused. And so, so when truth is denied like this, I mean, there's little wonder that our world is so filled with the lies and deception that it, that we see in our day. You know, so, and Jordan Peterson has another interesting thing that he points out. It's a little known fact regarding the famous philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. And he's the guy, he's the German philosopher who had the very, the infamous quote that is quoted, kind of taken out of context, actually, that God is dead. He actually was kind of doing a parable kind of thing. And, and Peterson asserts, he, he studies, Nietzsche was a psychologist and, and all too, you know, and Peterson has studied him, and he says that Nietzsche actually said that with like a, a broken heart. You know, and, and Nietzsche said, he, he said that his fear was that the Judeo-Christian values had been attacked and criticized so dangerously that the very existence of God had been fatally challenged. And so that's why he said God is dead. And so, and, and Nietzsche even called man the murderer of all murderers. And so, so he feared that in effect, you know, with all these, you know, criticisms and, and, and so forth of, of the Bible and, and, and of, of Christianity, that, that, that these philosophers and all had in effect killed God. And he, he had even at one time, Nietzsche had even called God the holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet known. And so Nietzsche then, because of his concern about this whole death of God, so to speak, he felt that there would arise two terrible forces. And it's, it's remarkable that he, he predicted that these things would happen. He made that statement like 1884. And so he said, as a consequence of this death of God, two terrible forces are going, are going to arise. And he was predicting this. Remarkable how uncannily accurate he was. He said, pardon me, totalitarianism and nihilism would result from this old co-concept of that God is dead. And so, so again, these, his predictions here were amazingly accurate because, I mean, look at what the Nazis did in Germany itself. Look at what the communists did as they, they, as they ushered in their murderous totalitarian regimes. 
Now, what about nihilism? Well, it has come about as well. And and what is nihilism? Well, it's the the focus of nihilism is the belief that all values are baseless and that nothing can be known or communicated. And a, a true nihilist believes in nothing, has no loyalties, and has no purpose other than perhaps an impulse to destroy. And so so here so you know, remarkably here, you know, as you know, if this philosophy is believed that there is no such thing as truth, then then obviously these are some consequences that would occur. And so so let's let's begin as we begin to wrap up here. Let's turn to scripture. <laughs> it's uh it's, this is pretty gloomy stuff, right? There, there is no truth. Well, Paul warns about this actually in First Timothy four, and and um, you know, and again, it's, it's amazing the accuracy of Scripture here. Also, Paul says First Timothy four, verse one. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will even say it is wrong to be married. You know, remember the girl talking about, you know, we question marriage and motherhood and all that. Paul continues this same theme in 2 Timothy chapter 3, also beginning with verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. I mean, talking about slander. I mean, everybody calls everybody else a liar and everybody lies about everybody else in our day. It's just, oh, it just, it just gets, us, gets me going. And you know, his final, or his final words here, they will be cruel and they'll hate what is good. And boy, has that ever happened in our day. And then verse five, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. And then he finishes it by saying, stay away from people like that. So, you know, in a way, as we close here, uh, what's a modern man's choice? In my mind, it comes down to basically a question of who are, who will you follow, the father of lies or the father of life? You know, you know. Remember when we studied John eight? You know, Jesus asked those people who were denying his truth in verse forty three of of John eight. He said, "Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me." For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. <clears throat> and, you know, that may not seem to really relate, but in, in some ways, perhaps, for some. But, you know, as we as we look at the fruit of... of uh, Marxism, and we look at the fruit of, of communism and how you know they they basically murdered hundreds of millions of people, you know, or they're not hundreds of millions, over a hundred million people, and so 
as that is the reality here, you know, I, I read a book recently called Live Not by Lies, and it's, and I've mentioned it briefly before, it's like an interview of those who, who survived communism. And basically they're saying that, that how they, you know, how they actually deceived the people was just with all their lies. And then, then the, the lies then, you know, led to murder and all that kind of stuff is, you know, and this came out clearly in Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago. You know, and he said he's the one who said that the topic, of, the title of that book, "Live Not by Lies." And so, you know, postmodernism is really a lie from the father of lies. Now, in stark contrast, as we've seen, the truth is in Jesus. He says in John ten fourteen, "I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me." He said in John ten nine, "I am the gate." Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So brothers and sisters, as we look at this, you know, uh, philosophy of postmodernism and how it's so full of lies, Let's choose life. Let's choose to follow the Father of life and, and let's seek to uphold God's standard of truth. So thank you for listening. And um yeah, you know, I would just encourage you guys again to, you know, take this link and share it with anyone who, who you feel like would need to to hear this and and I really appreciate you all uh listening and you know now and uh appreciate even getting emails or things things from you to reflect on you know what what uh what we're studying here so thanks again for listening and um i appreciate you guys so much and look forward to sharing with you again next week let's let's have a closing prayer lord we we praise you as our god we praise you as the way the truth and the life and and lord we we do pray that we could we could exhort each other daily so that we wouldn't fall into the deceitfulness of sin. And, and Lord, I pray that we could so relate with one another that we would indeed be careful among ourselves and, and, and encourage one another to be careful that no one deceives us. And so, so Lord, I, as, I, as we are wrapping up today and as we're going forward in the future and as we're beginning to look at these different philosophies, we, we ask you to lead us clearly. And give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, Lord, and help us to to uphold and to stand for and lift up your standard of truth. Thank you, Lord. May your name be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, have a great week. See you next. Talk to you next week.